Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So first of all, thank you for tuning in to my sort of my end of the week uh, video or podcast where I cover a whole host of, of different topics. Of course, you know, as the title suggests, I will be starting off talking about precious metals. But I also want to talk about some different economies around the world, as well as kind of revisit a topic that I discussed earlier this week, talking about who is going to buy all of this debt that continues to come out of the U.S. government in in the form of U.S. Treasury bonds, um, but is also set to really explode in terms of of just how large these deficits and thus uh, how how many bonds will have to be sold over the next 10 years, really starting whenever this next recession uh, begins. Uh, A lot of great stuff to talk about in this uh, this video today. I want to start off talking, though, about precious metals and kind of the week they've had. This is a three-month chart for for silver and and gold, generally positive. And and you know I'm kind of cherry picking numbers here. You guys know that back in November was kind of around the low for both these metals. And so you know of course if I give you a one-year picture, it's it's a little bit less positive for for silver and gold. Uh, this chart actually really shows the the outperformance that gold has had over silver as a whole. Uh, you know that gold to silver ratio remains. I'd consider pretty high. I think in the 83 range as we speak. Uh, don't quote me on that. But then, you know, if we uh, look a little bit more here uh, recently, uh, of course, we saw that back uh, towards the end of January uh, where I kind of actually called um, them ultimately breaking out of this tight range. Originally, they broke out to the bot- to, to, to the lower uh, prices, but then, you know, on the back of, of the Fed potentially loosening their policy, they broke out to the upside uh, quite a bit. And, and we saw silver uh, top $16. We saw gold, you know, up around 13 25 And since then, it's been in a bit of a eh, correction or a bit of consolidation. Now, that's kind of expected. Um, I, you know, in no market always, you know, continuously goes up. There's going to be consolidation periods. And especially, you know, if you do look over the last three months, there has been a lot, it's kind of been the story, it has been a lot of upward movement, but along the way there's been consolidation here towards the end of November, and again here for much of, of the middle of December, and then again here, you know, for, for a good chunk of, of January, you know, where they eventually moved in that tight range and then dropped lower, uh, but they're moving back up again. And, you know, again, you have to put this in perspective. If I zoom out even a little bit more here, you know, uh, maybe a six-month chart. If you put this in perspective, we're talking silver up around, you know, not 69, but 15.75, gold around 13.15 right now. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago, gold back in August, below 11.80, you know, around 11.70. I think it, the low was like 11.68 or something like that that day. Silver, you know, back in September, it dipped down to, to below 14. In fact, in November, it dipped well below $14 an ounce. Okay, so where they're at right here is, has been a pretty considerable rally, and this consolidation is not surprising. Now, I guess if I could talk a little bit about where I see them heading over the short term, I'm not going to give you guys any fancy technicals. I guess I will say this is that I don't expect them to remain in this kind of range that they've been uh, for, for very long. And I guess if I could put a range on that, maybe 1590 
and 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 fifteen sixty uh, for silver and then for gold. You know, um, similar I guess if you're looking at this chart, thirteen uh, maybe twenty or thirteen fifteen and and you know thirteen hundred. Actually, that was a very encouraging thing for gold. The fact that it uh, uh, rebounded so nicely around that thirteen hundred level and for silver, you know, resistance around fifteen sixty five. In fact. You know, back when when silver was up probably around sixteen dollars, I had a viewer comment. Uh, I couldn't tell you his name for sure. Uh, it's got a Morgan in the name, referring to you know the Morgan uh, dollars or, or whatever. But uh, he he was talking about how you know uh, silver's pretty high, but but it's likely to maybe move down and you know maybe fifteen sixty. He said was resistance, and then that might be a good buying time for silver. And lo and behold, I mean I think he's been right now. Again, I don't expect him to remain in this range. It's just be a question of where do they move next. And my bias is still to the upside. And again, this is not just me being the uber bull. This is just me saying that they continue to be undervalued. And there continues to be a lot of reasons for them to move up, whether it's a hedging argument, a supply and demand argument, uh, whatever it is. I mean, I think, I think uh, th- th- there's a lot of argument for them to move up. Now, again, for gold, I said this, uh, I think, last week. Uh, I think gold is going to lead the way for some time. The next big resistance for gold is going to be in the 1350 1360 range. Um, and then again, around 1400 above 1400, there's a lot of room to, for, to run though. Um, and as for, for silver, I think silver is going to kind of follow it, you know, uh, silver breaking $16, not that big of a deal. I'm more concerned about gold breaking 1300 in terms of that type of psychological level, but that will change eventually. And I think, uh, my, my prediction is that between here and 1400, you know, silver and gold can cover that gap, uh, in, in whatever time period we're talking here, uh, you, you could see that ratio, mm, come down a little bit again 83 to 1 right now you know below 80 to 1 maybe even as low as 75 to 1 but then maybe even lower who knows but but then i think once gold breaks that 1400 then you can see that ratio come down much much more um and who knows what numbers we're talking about here but 60 to 1 50 to 1 etc so uh, again that kind of continues to be my view and i do have a bit of a bullish slant this continues to be a bit of a a bullish season for metals and, and another thing to keep in mind is that this week, uh, it's China's uh, uh, golden week or, or their lunar new year, I should say. I don't think it's their golden week. That's in the fall time. It's their lunar new year. And so they've been off. Uh, I don't know if it's been the entire week or just earlier this week. Um, but but generally, you know, silver and gold, um, they're, they're, the fact that this is a bullish season, I think, is partly related to that. But also when, when Chinese markets are closed... Silver and gold tend to perform not as well, but next week and and as and again I I should have checked beforehand um, whether or not they're even open today or or later this week. But but uh, you know that that is another reason for them to potentially head up. But you know another thing I want to show you guys is, is that there is many people making this argument that the dollar has a lot of strength in to do and that that will drive down silver and gold. Now, I want to share this chart with you guys right here. Now this is not a perfect chart. I'm, I'm going to play around with these time ranges and stuff to to maybe put this in better perspective. But basically, what you're looking at here is gold and the DXY, the dollar index, in in blue here. And and of course they operate in an inverse. Okay, and it's not a perfect inverse, okay? So meaning it looks like a huge spike in the dollar index might not look as exaggerated in in gold because it's not always a perfect correlation in terms of percentage-wise. But generally, people think of it as being a correlation, uh, meaning that 
when when the dollar goes up gold goes down and vice versa and yet i want to show you this guys right here um, what you're looking at is going back to roughly the beginning of october end of september and of course the the reason that it's set there is because a it works well for this chart and it's just me being lazy but also that's when around when the stock market kind of broke it it, it hit its all-time highs you know around the end of September, beginning of October, depending on what index, maybe they were all around the same time. But since then, you know, they had their huge drop off all the way through, uh, you know, Christmas Eve before they eventually recovered so far. And of course, they're, they're down again today. Uh, but gold has has really outperformed what you'd expect in terms of, of uh, correlation during that time period. So to put this in perspective, the dollar index, 95.2, okay, back at, you know, end of September. It was around those levels once again uh, in the middle of January, the 9th of January, it looks like, okay? Now, look at gold during that time period. Back then in September, end of September, it was around 1189, below 1200. In January, though, we're talking about gold up around 1290. That's a huge outperformance. You can see it, you know, time and time again. Look at this. Um, a, a, a huge, you know, and it's not always perfect, you know, a huge drop in the dollar and you see gold kind of tread water. But then you see this here, a huge rally in the dollar and look at what gold has done. Not a whole lot. It's come down a bit, but quite a bit of resilience. And obviously the big story here is that gold is, is outperforming. Now, if you look at something like a one year chart, again, you, you can see it right here that the dollar had, had quite the rally there. And and that was a big part of why both silver and gold, you know, came down there towards, you know, around the middle of the year. But since then has been, you know, it tread water for a long time and gold kind of underperformed, I guess, versus the dollar during that time period for, for a variety of reasons. But then it came up quite a bit. The dollar strengthened from, again, from around September to, you know, I'd say Christmas Eve, I guess. And you saw gold rise quite a bit during that time period. And since then, the dollars come down. But again, it's come up recently. And gold has not gone down very much. And so this is, I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, maybe, maybe it's because the dollar and gold are both being viewed as a safe haven asset. Maybe it's because, I don't know, it's hard to say. I, I, I wouldn't even say that, you know, people are pricing a ton of inflation. Because, you know, over the long term, you, you would expect, you know, if the dollar index, let's say, is steady at 100 for a five-year period, or let's say it's around 100. Well, you know, during that five-year period, you're accounting for quite a bit of inflation during that time period. And so... You wouldn't expect you'd expect gold to be you know quite a bit higher than the the than it was five years prior relative to the DXY because of that inflation. You know, this is a relatively short time period, and so you know I think this resilience in gold and of course silver as well is is very very encouraging. So that's kind of where I'm I'm at with precious metals. Um, you know, if they go down again, this has been a very encouraging rally. The fact that it's been so strong in the face of of still some dollar strength. I mean, if if I told you back at, at the beginning of October. That gold was going to be, you know, over thirteen hundred by by the end of January, beginning of February. You would probably say that, oh, okay, then the, the DXY is probably going to be, you know, in the ninety range, right, or maybe even below that. But no, it's it's over ninety six as we speak right now. So very encouraging. Uh, moving on, Silver Fortune will be right back after this quick message. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk about a couple different uh, kind of world economic factors here, if I could. Uh, Reuters, this is from Reuters, talking about Australia. Uh, Australia Central Bank steps up warning on housing cuts guidance. <laughs> You'll like this cut. Okay, so probability of rate rise or cut more evenly balanced than before. Uh, basically, I, I don't follow uh, their central bank, uh, what, RBA, the Royal Bank of Australia. I don't follow it as closely as I say, like Fed policy or maybe some other central banks, but I'm going to guess they had more of a hawkish bias and now they're kind of doing what the Fed is doing right now. They're kind of in that even the, the pause period. Resilience of household consumption is a key uncertainty. Um, I would say, well, okay. Uh, okay. I'll just get through this once before I share my opinion. RBA cuts GDP forecast sees 3% uh, back in, in oh, 3% December 2019. 2.7% June 2021. Cuts inflation forecast sees wage growth of da da da. Okay. All right. So basically what's going on in Australia right now and why their central bank is worried is that their their housing sector, real estate, has taken quite a bit of a hit. Um, maybe one of the more significant hits that it's taken in the last couple decades. Now, the funny thing about Australia is that they have not had a recession in over 20 years. The, the whole Great Recession and some of that other stuff, you know, a, a big part of why they didn't have a recession during that time period is that their economy is very closely tied with uh, China. And so, of course, in 2008, yes, China suffered some some growing pains. But then, you know, they had a huge stimulus. They had a huge amount of growth during that time period. And uh Australia kind of rode that wave. And and so basically what you saw is, again, no recession for over 20 years. And their housing market did not deflate nearly as much as it did uh, over here in the United States or elsewhere in the world. And so to say that it's in a bubble, I think would be quite an understatement regarding uh, Australia's economy as well as their housing sector. Now, as of late, China's economy has been struggling. So not surprisingly, Australia's has been struggling. So, you know, the, it's funny just for them to say that resilience of household consumption is a key uncertainty, when in reality, you know, the key uncertainty is the very economy that you're tied to, and that's China, and what does their economy do? Um, now, they very well could go into a recession, even if China somewhat stabilizes their economy. If they don't, it's, it's almost a sure thing. And that's the other thing here. They're talking about GDP forecasts. Again, haven't experienced a recession in forever. 3% by the end of the year, 2.7% by June 2021. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to have to eat those words. Now, I don't know when a recession is coming for U.S., let alone Australia. But I have a good feeling it's probably going to be before 2021. Uh, and and it, it, it's, it's going to be rough. Um, in fact, I've heard people say in the past that, you know, the odds of a financial crisis in the U.S., you know, maybe we have some of the things in place, whether it's regulations or people wisened up or whatever, that if we have another one, it maybe won't be as bad, but maybe we won't. And it's going to be a very different recession. I don't know about that. I I think there still continues to be a lot of risks. But if there was one place that I would pick for a 
financial crisis in, in the relatively near future, uh, midterm, uh, moderate, uh, near to moderate future would be Australia because, you know, a lot of what was going on back in, in you know, 2006, 2007 in terms of the U.S. housing sector and before that uh, in terms of, of, of just uh, irresponsible lending practices, uh, irresponsible packaging of, of things like subprime mortgages, just a crazy overvalued housing market. That's Australia right now. And and when it does drop, it's it's going to be violent. And I think a financial crisis over there is very possible. Same thing goes, honestly, I think, for, for Canada. Similar story for Canada, uh, uh, especially their housing sector, um, just did not deflate as much as, as the United States or, or elsewhere in the world. And so this is something to watch, um, you know, even in terms of, of, of uh, precious metals. You know, uh, we, we know that. Uh, Australia and Canada, they both have their own mints, the Perth Mint and, and the uh, uh, Royal uh, Canadian Mint. And so, you know, you got to wonder what that's going to mean for precious metals prices. When you have a, an economy like Australia that hasn't had a recession in 20 plus years, real estate always goes up, stock market always goes up, etc. And, and who knows, maybe their stock market had a bear market at some point along the way. But this is going to be unprecedented for, for a lot of these people, you know. You got to think about it. Uh, twenty plus years. I think it's twenty five, twenty six years since their last recession. Well, that means you know basically anybody that's in their thirties even hasn't really experienced a recession because you know do you remember much about a recession that happened when you were you know ten years old or something? So you know maybe it's not until around like thirteen or fifteen before you kind of understand what that is. And so we're talking you know close to forty year olds that haven't really experienced or understand what a recession is like within their own country. Uh, what does that can mean when, when you see unemployment shoot up, the stock market shoot down? Uh, you see people losing their unemployment. People, uh, the houses are, are, you know, the values cut in half or something like that. You know, it's going to be mayhem over there. And, and, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people just panic and go into, you know, some, some nice, nice uh, Perth Mint precious metal products, you know, uh, kookaburros and, and, and the like. So... Something to keep an eye on as a whole for precious metals, but just in terms of the economy. Uh, shifting gears to a different, I'm going to keep my ad blocker on CNBC, to to a different um, economy, the EU economy. So so Germany has uh, been struggling economically. Uh, EU cuts Germany's growth prospects with fear over global trade. Um, now, honestly, I think it, it's tough. I'm going to limit say that. Their their growth problems, I I don't know how much it has to do with global trade as much as it has to do with again China. Now I don't think Germany's economy is as linked with China as say Australia or Canada, but they are. And and you know I wouldn't be surprised if if again if you see China go down, you see a lot of these other economies come down with them. And so Germany, the the fear of recession in Germany is increasing. Um, you're seeing a lot of economic data come out as of late that is showing that their economy is is slowing, uh, and and it'll be interesting because we just recently learned that uh, Italy is in a recession as well. They now it's not a major deep recession if you look at the numbers. I think it's it's two consecutive quarters, but it's like point one percent and point two percent in the negative in terms of contraction or something like that. Very very minor. It's not like negative five percent or anything like that, um, but recession nonetheless. And you, you got to wonder, you know, those are two of the larger economies in the EU, in the European area. Uh, if, you know, Germany goes into recession, 
is France next? I wouldn't be surprised if France was next because of their uh, social issues, you know, on top of, of some of these economic concerns. Uh, the UK, of course, they're dealing with their the, the big fear about uh, a hard Brexit and everything. Uh, Brexit, hard Brexit, whatever, uh, delay on Brexit, another vote. Either way, I, there's going to be a lot of, I think, uncertainty and fear over there. Regardless if it's warranted or not, I think it's going to be there. Um, so, you know, will the UK move into a recession soon? Um, and then you, of course, have some other not as major economies, but, but you know, uh, Spain and 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 you know, Poland and, and some of these other uh, Central European countries. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Scandinavian countries as well. You know, if they move into a recession, I mean, that's a... That's going to be rough for the for the EU for the that, that could be you know the next recession the next downturn in, in kind of the EU economies could be the end of the EU right you could see more and more countries move out I mean how unpopular would it be if if uh, you know Italy slipped into a deeper recession or some country did and and of course the EU goes to block any sort of major stimulus spending to try and stimulate the economy I mean that's a pretty sure way to to make sure a lot of people in that country are are going to want to leave the eu and so you know it's it, it's very fragile as it is right now and and you know these next couple of years i don't think it's going to stabilize by any means um let's see here uh next one i want to talk about uh just a little bit here talking about this trade war um and in some of the economic uh damages of it now this one is talking about uh farm bankruptcies here in the united states a 10-year highs trade war bites um and this is really kind of a bummer that, that there are so many U.S. farmers that are hurt by this trade war uh, is, you know, now you got to understand I'm a Minnesota native, so it's even here right on the chart. Now, now farming is not a huge piece of Minnesota. It's a, it's a sizable piece, um, whether it's soybean or corn or whatnot. Maybe not as large as Iowa or Nebraska or you know, dairy farming in Wisconsin or whatever. But, you know, a, a fair amount of... Uh, I think damage has been done to a lot of these economies because of this trade war, and that's you know it's a bummer. Um, I don't want to get too much into the politics of it, but in, economically speaking, the, the the damage from this trade war is very real. And it's maybe a little bit exaggerated, right? Sometimes the stock market goes down or something like that, and everybody blames it on the trade war or, or trade talks not going well. And and I think there's some deeper uh problems in our economy than just trade talks or the trade war but um as a whole you know i guess my hope for this trade war is that it does you know, ultimately resolve itself uh, in in the way of of less um tariffs than we had in the first place less restrictions on trade in the first place but you know, i'm becoming less and less confident of that you know we saw trump recently take action against uh chinese telecom companies including huawei which, has, of course, has kind of been at the center of this trade war and this big uh, scandal for quite a while now. Uh, and, of course, we're coming up on their kind of self-imposed March 1st deadline to to resolve this trade war. And if they don't, it, it, was, it was kind of this time period that they gave themselves where, hey, we're not going to increase tariffs so that we can kind of figure this out. Let's, let's take a breather here. But if they don't by that point, you know, what's next? Is the is U.S. going to start slapping on more tariffs? Uh, or, 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 you know, uh, is Trump going to ban the import of, of, you know, products from certain other Chinese companies? You know, what, what's next in this trade war? Is, is this going to extend to, um, you know, the EU as well? This is a, if it doesn't get resolved from, from March 1st, this could get even uglier. And, and it's a poor time to do it because I think, you know, 
regardless of the trade war, both U.S. and, and Chinese economies are going to be struggling here. Uh, they already are. And and this is just poor timing because it's just going to really pile on to what I think is going to be some, some rough economic times coming forward for, for both of these countries. So that's something to watch in terms of the stock market, precious metals, and just the, the overall economy is what happens between now and March 1st. Now, don't get swayed too much by the, the, the little press releases from Larry Kudlow or the White House or China or whatever. You know, the trade talks are on, they're off. It, it's No, it's... It, 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 just stay tuned for for the big announcement of whether or not there's going to be a deal. And if there isn't, the the big amount announcement might be in the other direction of of larger uh, escalation of this trade war. Now, the final thing I want to talk about today this is this is fascinating to me. This is from Zero Hedge. Primary dealer Treasury Holdings hit all time high as foreign buyers bulk. Now, I talked about earlier this week in a video titled "Who's Going to Buy Something?" Something like "Who's Going to Buy Thirty Trillion Dollars of U.S. Debt in Ten Years?" And this was based on a prediction by Alistair McLeod, talking about how you know the best case scenario for U.S. debt over the next ten years is is kind of the CBO's model, the Congressional Budget Office. But you know when you count for the likelihood of a recession and all of that, uh, that that's extremely optimistic, even though. The picture that it that it paints is still not very pretty, and 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 instead, you know, he put a he put a number out there, uh, something like between now and I think twenty twenty eight or twenty twenty nine, an increase of something like thirty trillion to the U.S. debt. Thirty trillion dollars, and so my question was, who's going to buy that? Because as a whole, foreign countries like China, Japan, etc., they're slowly selling treasuries, right? Um, and, and then you have some other uh, uh, major holders. Of, you see the Fed reducing their treasury holdings and some others. And the main buyers have been you know, institutions, domestic institutions for the most part. And, and this is talking about primary dealers. These are dealers that, that work with the treasury, work with the Fed, etc. Uh, they, they buy and then distribute these, these treasuries. They, they sell these to, to other people that are looking to get into the treasury market rather than going directly to... Uh, you know, the treasury. And so, you know, basically what this is saying, and I'll show you a, a chart down here, if Zero Hedge ever loads. Um, you can see this right here, actually, also as well. U.S. dollar share of... Oh, <laughs> gotta love that. Uh, okay, basically saying the U.S. dollar... Yeah, okay, we'll just look at this chart right here because this is just going haywire. This is... Okay, so this is all their other types of holdings. So mortgage-backed securities, um, ABS, is that what, auto-backed securities? I don't know. Um, state and municipal bonds, corporate bonds, et cetera. But then this line right here is their treasury holdings at these primary dealers. And basically, they, they have like an all-time high in terms of treasury holdings right now. Almost an all-time high in terms of, of overall uh, uh, amounts of, of all these different bonds. But an all-time high, all-time long position in in uh for u.s treasuries uh that's again kind of going back to what i was saying who's going to buy all these um because at some point these primary dealers are, are, are not going to want to buy these either because they're not going to be able to offload them this they, they need a big buyer somewhere and and of course my conclusion was that that big buyer ultimately will be um the fed the federal reserve it's just a matter of time qe coming back again you know you got you got to wonder just how much of this increase is due to Things like quantitative tightening and whatnot, because the Fed is 
uh, becoming a smaller and smaller piece of the treasury market. That's got to reverse at some point because foreign uh, um, investors and 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 treasuries and central banks they're buying fewer and fewer treasuries. This is mostly going to be satisfied by domestic buyers, but but they only have so much appetite. Pension funds only can allocate so much to bonds, especially when they're seeking higher and higher returns. You know, they they only can buy so much. Uh, you know, and various other um, funds, they only can buy so much in terms of treasuries. Uh, in fact, you know, I had I had somebody question the other day. You know, are they actually buying? I mean, who would actually buy U.S. debt at at you know its current interest rate? You know, two to three percent or something like that. And uh, you know, my answer was basically, well, you got to understand that a lot of these firms or a lot of these funds are are mandated to to hold a certain amount of their holdings and and bonds and so you know going forward the idea of of some of these large so for instance like pension funds state pension funds or something moving away from u.s bonds well you got to understand that i don't see the treasury and the fed just allowing all these pension funds to stop that you know i think they're going to mandate them they're going to make sure that the mandate continues to hold a certain amount of bonds but still it's not going to be enough Right, especially if we have another recession here, and then we see the deficit, you know, double, triple, uh, and we're looking at you know two, three, four trillion dollar deficits. Who's making up that difference? It's going to be the Fed through through QE, and it's going to be inflationary. So, uh, monetization of debt—that's going to be the name of the game. Who knows? At some point, it might even be them buying bonds. It could be them just directly funding the treasury. And why not at that point, right? If you're going to monetize debt, why go through the process of buying these bonds and propping up the bond? No. Why not just look at the deficit and just <laughs> the deficit's $3 trillion this year? Well, you know, Steve Mnuchin, here's a, uh, you know, from Jerome Powell to Steve Mnuchin, here's a $3 trillion check for, for the U.S. government to, to kind of make up that deficit. But that's monetization of debt. It's, it's inflationary. It's not good for the dollar, and it is uh, great for precious metals. So this is the final thing I want to close out on. So you know, as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this video down below in the comment section. Um, thank you uh, for my announcement last video, just kind of some, some tough times for me and my family. Thank you for those of you that... That, that commented and said you'll be praying and, and all of that. As always, you guys are the best. I am uh, very grateful for, for all my viewers and supporters and, and fans and whatnot. So thank you guys for, for that. And thank you for, for listening to this podcast, watching this video. And God bless.